Hello, hello, and welcome to Legendary Africa, your African myth and legend podcast. The one and the only. Well, not the only, <laughs> but definitely the one. <laughs> How's everyone today? Are you still quarantined? Are you enjoying that? <laughs> how's that? How's it going for you? Is it doing things for you? How's your marriage? How's the kids? Tell Ooh, us everything. The deets. Are you still married? <laughs> So I just told Bashir before we started recording that her friend sent her an entire essay. Because, you know, I do that. I look over people's shoulders to see what they're doing. Yeah, she's nosy like that. I'm creepy like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just saw like an entire paragraph of text. Yeah, it's how Nadia and I text, eh? We kind of just, um, we don't like write one big thing. Yeah. It's like several messages. <laughs> it's just bing, bing, bing. It's just like bing. 11 messages right now. Usually it's 21, so actually it's less than normal. 21. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at like 7 in the morning or some shit, because that child goes to sleep at like 8 in the evening. You know, actually it's swapped now then because of quarantine. Now she just goes to... Why are we talking about a sleeping <laughs> <laughs> Revealing your secret. <laughs> so how are you? You know, I'm good, hey? Yeah? Yeah. Life is good. I'm moisturized. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like the terrible cold spell in Johannesburg is finally over. Oh, I forgot this is our weather segment. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the sun is out, things are warming up, the birds are chirping. (laughs) Yeah, this is our weather segment. It's a thing now. Okay, so (laughs) right now it's uh, how many degrees? You know, that do, 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 do. (laughs) Hello, your weather for today. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, what's new? Yeah, so I got some news for you. Uh Uh-huh. And I shall tell you right now. Good. Give it to me. <laughs> so, I read this article, which actually came out on the 12th of June. And apparently, we have found an ancient Roman board game in a Norwegian burial mound. Norwegian? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So, it's actually um, roughly about 1,700 years old, the board game itself. And it dates to around 300 AD. So, it's more or less the Roman Iron Age. Okay. Um, and they found... So they found a four-sided dice and 18 circular tokens. And actually, I got a picture here if you want to look at it. Oh, okay. So these are the dice. They're long, elongated dice. Oh, yeah. I can I was, post a picture of it. I was about to say, that looks like no di- dice? <coughs> die. <laughs> Whatever. Dice. It looks like no <laughs> dice I've ever seen. Yeah. What's interesting here is that it seems to reveal... I mean, if it was in a Norwegian burial ground, it reveals ties between probably trade ties, social ties, cultural ties between Norway and Rome. That yeah, is pretty so, interesting. I mean, just to put me in the picture historically, mm. the uh, Vikings and Romans, did they coexist or am I totally <laughs> off? <laughs> um, you know, this is a good question. <laughs> yeah, you always say that when you don't know. Yes, I don't really know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the Vikings were quite a lot older. Okay. But I'm not sure about like descendants and stuff like that. And then the Roman Empire didn't spread all the way up to Norway. No, I don't think so. Okay, that's interesting. Not in terms of ruling, in terms of like trading and stuff, I think they did. Um, so this, um, how do they know it's a board game? Well, so there's, uh, there were references to a type of game like this from two different uh, Roman authors. One is from Ovid, I think, but um, that describes a, sim- a board game called Ludus Latrum Colorum, which means game of mercenaries. Um, and it's basically, so the whole objective is that it's kind of like chess, so you've got black pieces and white pieces. Mm-hmm. And the king, I think, is trying to advance to the other side of the board. Right. And the other pieces are trying to block him off and eventually corner him. So it's kind of like chess cross... um, Go. Yeah, go. Yeah. Exactly. Japanese go. Yeah. So um, 
Apparently it's very very rare to find this kind of board games. Only 15 such dice have been found in Norway to date. Wow. And um, yeah, I just thought that was kind of interesting because you don't... It's, it's interesting to find these small little things that indicate huge cultural exchange in a way. Yeah. Because also um, it was shown that the, the burial mound had evidence of being a wealthy burial mound. So there Wait, were, how do we know that? Mm, so usually there's Is it just like, like gold powder sprinkled <laughs> atop the mound? Usually um, a sign of wealth is either expensive crockery or clothes and stuff. Well, obviously clothes are going <laughs> to be like, damn, degrading. I got them Le Creuset parts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, or like even arm, armor or weapons, something like that. Oh, I see. So they think that it's from a wealthy person. So clearly there were some there was a Roman noble and a Norwegian noble maybe who were playing. Uh, or they just managed to get a Roman game. I'm not entirely sure. Hmm. But yeah, I always find that kind of interesting. Yeah, that is that's super interesting. I have a duck story. Uh, what now? I think they're ducks. Yeah, they're ducks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So a woman actually hatched ducklings from eggs that she found in a supermarket. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, what? You can do that? Interesting, okay. So her name is Charlie Lello, Mm -hmm. and uh, she was basically just looking for something to do because she'd recently been furloughed. And she saw this video of a woman who had incubated quail eggs to birth. So she was like, sure, I mean, why don't I try it with duck eggs that I got at a Waitrose supermarket? So she incubated the eggs for like a month, and then one day she just heard like little baby duckling sounds. And so, yeah, they'd hatched. Were these eggs supposed to be for consumption? Yeah, they would have been. But I I thought the eggs for consumption aren't able to, like, they're... So, um, a spokesman from the Waitrose actually told the BBC that as long as the eggs have been fertilized, they're actually not different from other viable eggs. I mean, sorry, they're actually not different from other non-fertilized eggs unless Mm. they're incubated. Oh, oh, that's kind of... I feel kind of weird now. <laughs> no, I mean, like, it could have been little baby chicks. Well, the incubation process is basically important for actually producing the ducklings. Mm. So it's kind of like, you know, is an embryo a fetus? Is a fetus a baby? It isn't, you know? Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, well, that's fascinating. Yeah, and <laughs> the sweetest part of all of this mm-hmm. is that she had three ducklings, and she named them Beep, Peep, and Meep. Oh my goodness, <laughs> so adorable i know i was like heartwarming story for these times you know also kind of cute that she's just like i'm gonna try and do this and we'll see what happens <laughs> yeah it's like you know what i decided to do in quarantine become a mother hmm. <laughs> a mother of ducks <laughs> um i actually wanted to tell you three other things very shortly just a bit of good news oh god that people might appreciate this is all news about some animals which i always I can't find it down animal stories. <laughs> so the good news is that in the Kruger National Park in South Africa, um, they came across, a ranger came across a whole pride of lions dozing in the sun on the road because <laughs> there's no visitors anymore. So they feel that they can relax and just enjoy the sun. And I just think that's so cute. Yeah, I imagine they're also soaking the heat up from the tarmac. <laughs> yeah, you can see a picture here. They're all just passed out oh in God. the sun. Like a whole family. Those two are spooning. Oh, yeah. Actually, I think the male lion, the male like, literally the... has his arm around the female. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> yeah, they're just relaxing a little bit. And then also um, the black rhino, which is actually the world's most endangered animal. Yes, I actually thought that they'd gone extinct. No, so the good thing is that in 2012, the black rhino population was just over 4,800. Mm-hmm. 
But thanks to um, so relocating groups and clamping down on poaching, they've risen to around 5,500. Wow. So it's, it's, it's not a big increase, but they're coming back. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy about that. It was really one of the truly depressing things. Yeah. Especially, I think, you know, I have a lot of feelings about poaching, mm. about hunting. Um, even with the licenses that are issued internationally, I just think that it's it's so wrong. It's immoral, you know. No, I mean, I don't get the whole thing about hunting for pleasure. Yeah, I heard that in uh, Tanzania, actually, they've had a decrease in the albino giraffe population from poaching. I think there's like some kind of superstition about it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, and then lastly, apparently, so 240 years ago, the white-tailed eagle went extinct in England. Okay. Miraculously, the giant birds of prey have decided to return. Oh! (laughs) They saw... um, the eagle sweeping over the North York Moors. It apparently has 2.5 meter wingspan. Holy shit. <laughs> so these guys are also back. I thought that was really nice to read. You know? Yeah. <laughs> have to say, coronavirus, bad for humans, good for the earth. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> There's been such a resurgence of uh, animal population basically all over the world. I mean, yeah. the flamingos came back to India. Yeah, the flamingos came back to India. The dolphins came back to Venice. Yeah, <laughs> that's how clean the water is now. Um, I feel like there's goats just sort of wandering around now. <laughs> Which, to be honest, not actually that unusual in South Africa. <laughs> True, but these are mountain goats. Like, even in... Uh, <laughs> wandering around the city. <laughs> like, even in urban areas, it's not that uncommon to actually find um, little goat populations mm, here and true. there. <laughs> little fun fact, if you're ever in the country and... Uh, Wondering why there's livestock on the road. <laughs> True. So, uh, why don't we read some reviews? Yeah, sure. Okay, so, these are such amazing reviews, thank you. Uh, this one is from ABP Finance, which I'm pretty sure is the podcast New Age Influences. They said, great show, this show stands out, it's engaging, unique, interesting, and the hosts are incredible. Give it a try, it'll be worth it. Oh, thank you, New Age Podcast. Um, and then another uh, review, which is on Podchaser by GM in Training. A really interesting podcast looking at shapeshifters outside of the more popular European context. Also very funny as well as informative. That was a review for our first episode, Curse of the Wehahina. Oh, that's so sweet. Really lovely. Thanks, yeah, everyone. I have to say thank you for reviews. We really do appreciate each and every one of them. And it's always good to see uh, feedback on what we're doing, you know? Yeah, that, you know, we're kind of on the right track. <laughs> People yeah. like it. So thank you. Yeah, and keep them coming. <laughs> so I want to end off my news with a book recommendation, actually. Oh, right. I'm ready. Yeah, I'm so excited. The final installment of the Devabud trilogy by S.K. Chakraborty just came out, like, a few days ago. Mm-hmm. It's called Empire of Gold. Mm. And it rounds up this absolutely brilliant fantasy series based on Jin. Okay. And kind of like, uh, you know, the world of, of Jin. And it's set pretty much in Egypt. The main character is Egyptian. And uh, yeah, it's it's just really fun. I would recommend it to anyone who enjoys fantasy and also enjoys like a little bit of mythology mixed in. So uh, this is a trilogy, yeah. Yeah, interestingly, uh, the jinn actually pop up a lot in African mythology. I think mm, I always associated it more with um, the Arab nations and things Which like that. Which makes sense why it pops up. But yeah, because of uh, the strong Arabic influence in much of North and West Africa, 
we mm-hmm. actually have a lot of kind of cross-cultural pollination <laughs> going on. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's very cool. Yeah, anyway. Sorry, who's the author again? S.K. Chakraborty. Cool. Okay, it's my turn first, mm-hmm. so I'm going to give you something spooky. Okay, I am ready. Yeah, I mean, it's part of the description of this podcast, and I feel like we don't go there enough. So. Excuse me. The way I, you know, got kind of spooky. Ah, uh, I think they're cute. You're weird. (laughs) But yeah, buckle up because if you want to get crazy, we can get crazy. (laughs) Okay, today I'm taking us to the dead center of Africa. I mean, it's not dead, it's it's in the center. (laughs) I was like, interesting. (laughs) Wasting away. What I mean is, it's the most central you can get. It's the Democratic Republic of Congo. Okay. And as I'm sure most people know, this is a country made up mostly of dense equatorial rainforest. So we're looking at steamy and <laughs> leafy. <laughs> the people are steamy. And within this rainforest, monstrous spirits lurk. All right. These birds are called the Baloko, and you better hope if you're ever in that rainforest, you never run into them. Okay. So this mythology belongs to the Mongo people, which is the second largest ethnic group in the DRC. I'm going to be abbreviating it because it's a really long name. Mm-hmm. And it's really an umbrella term for a larger number of sub-ethnicities. Okay. Now, it's worth mentioning that the DRC, like uh, many countries in Africa, has an extremely diverse range of languages and cultures. I mean, just to give you an idea of this, the Lingala language, which is the language primarily spoken in the DRC, contains over 200 dialects. And that's within one language. 200? Yep. In this one place? For this one language. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> so oh, I'm never gonna learn all that. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. There's just like small um, changes between tribes and mm. you know communities and so on. Historically, as far as we can tell, the Mongo people settled along the north and western river valleys of the country in around 1000 CE. Okay. There, they farmed staples like uh, yam, cassava, bananas, that kind of thing. They were eventually colonized by Belgium, which led most of the Mongo people to convert to Christianity. And this actually caused some conflict with Islamic groups in neighboring parts of the DRC. Mm. Incidentally, the Belgians also brought sleeping sickness and syphilis. Sleeping sickness? Yeah. Yeah, You've never heard of sleeping sickness? Uh, Google it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I ain't got no time to edumacate you. (laughs) I apologize. (laughs) And uh, these two diseases almost wiped out the entire population. What the fuck? Colonists. (laughs) As we might say, thanks, colonists. (laughs) So, I mean, there's that. But on the plus side, the Belgians also brought coffee as a compensation. So, like, your whole family's dead, but here's an espresso? I mean, like... That's a fair trade. <laughs> oh, gosh. So like many other African countries, the DRC fell prey to the slave trade mm-hmm. of the 18th and 19th centuries, and members of the Mongo population were routinely captured and held offshore in Zanzibar. I'm sure people have heard of the notorious Stone Town, where they were basically shipped off to various plantations. Okay. Enough with the really depressing stuff. Let's get on to the mm. mysterious Baloko. <laughs> this unfortunately is always going to happen when it comes to history. <laughs> yeah, I think anywhere there have been people of color, there has been exploitation on some level, so yeah. we can't avoid it. But 
my story today is about the biloko. Okay. Now, the singular for biloko is eloko. Okay. And they're said to be small, dwarf-like creatures with hair made of grass, big snouts, and mouths large enough to fit an entire human body whole. Wait, what? <laughs> I'm trying to imagine this. Yeah, I, th- I imagine their jaws kind of just disengaging like a, a python. Yeah, that's what I'm also thinking. And then just swallowing a human being. Um, um, do they swallow human beings? Well, uh, I assume that that's what their jaws are for. No oh, God. <laughs> they also have long claws, you know, in case the mouth thing was mm-hmm. not enough. They're naked, apart from leaves that cover their body, sort of Peter Pan style. Okay. So the Boloko reside in deep, dark parts of the rainforest, where they live in hollow trees and protect their hoard of precious fruit and game. These guys are insane about fruit. Okay, okay. Boloko are magical creatures, possessing little bells, which they use to lure intruders upon their realm. Okay. <laughs> I was going to be like, oh, that's so cute, and then I was like, okay, never mind. Yeah, they're magic bells. They're death bells. Cool, cool. The other, um, what's that creature called? The one that lures you in, lures you in with the light? Hinky punks? Yeah. Is that a real thing, or is that no, just no, a Harry Potter thing? Potter, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but that's real now, so... <laughs> I know Harry Potter is in your head, Harry. But why should that mean that it is not real? <laughs> anyway, so basically, if you're a hunter and you're not, like, you're anything less than a powerful magician, mm-hmm. you really stand no chance against these creatures. Okay. Or possibly you could have amulets. Okay. And uh, those could help you. Mm. So some believe that Boloko are actually ancestral spirits, and that for some reason they have a bone to pick with the living. Like, I imagine it's just general jealousy and annoyance that living people actually get to eat the fruit and oh, enjoy see. the game. So they can't actually eat that, they just hoard it. Yeah, they're just like, we're hoarding all this food so that alive people can't eat them. They're petty. You know? <laughs> now, I've got an actual tale of the Boloko, which okay. I've basically copied verbatim from the site called thebookofcreatures.com, and that itself uh, quotes the material from Jan Nuppert's Encyclopedia of Myths and Legends, African Mythology. Mm-hmm. So this is how the story goes. A Nkundo man once built a fenced-in hut in the forest to find game. Whenever the husband left for the village, he would warn his wife, Remember, if you hear the sound of a little bell, don't answer or you will die. Yet, as the monotonous hours went by, the wife found herself entranced by the ringing of a bell deep in the forest, coming closer and closer. Finally, she ran outside, calling to the loco. I'm here, come to me, she cried. (laughs) And the loco duly appeared. Here I am, I have come to you, he announced. The wife was overjoyed and prepared a meal for her guest, but the loco refused the fried bananas and fish. I only eat human meat, (laughs) and I am so hungry, he wheedled. You are a delicious woman. (laughs) Give me a piece of flesh. So flirtatious. Does that turn you on? <laughs> Does it for you? <laughs> I mean, I would like to occasionally call it a delicious woman. Although probably not followed then by being actually eaten alive. You get problems, eh? Yeah, that's true. Eh? Let's just put that aside for a second and carry on with the story. <laughs> the woman willingly proffered her arm, and the loco took a portion of meat, which he roasted and devoured. Wait, so... Does she hypnotize something like this kind of? This I think that at this point the music of the bells had ensnared her. Okay, cool. Then the loco left, leaving the woman to bandage her wound in silence. Oh, he didn't eat it like completely. No, he just wanted a piece of flesh. You know, no big deal. <laughs> when her husband returned, he saw his wife bedridden and in pain. 
I have sores, she said. Then take the bandage off and have some medicine for it. She refused and would not explain further. But the next day, the same gruesome episode repeated itself. Okay. The husband left, the wife entertained the Iloko, and the Iloko left the wife with another deep injury. He's slowly eating her. Oh, that's much worse. Never mm. mind. <laughs> <laughs> this time, the husband did not believe his wife's excuses and decided to lie in wait instead of returning to the village. When the Iloko returned that day, he pulled out a knife, told the woman that this time he desired her liver. The husband immediately fired an arrow into the dwarf, then ran him through with his spear and decapitated him. Okay, cool. But the Iloko had already stabbed the wife in the liver, and she died. Wait, what? How? <laughs> How that happened so quickly? <laughs> so, I won't lie, the first time I read this, a little pee may have come out of me. <laughs> yeah, that is, that's pretty creepy. I'm just like, this is an entire fucking fiasco. <laughs> Like, what the hell? <laughs> so in other tales, Biloko actually function more like a vicious tribe of warriors. Mm -hmm. So, for example, there's one tale that tells of how the grandsons of the death spirit, Ilelangonda, named Likinda, Intonge, and Lianja, once went to war with the Biloko. The grandsons tricked the Biloko into an ambush, luring them with mbole fruit. Now, I gotta tell you, I looked everywhere on the internet for this mbole fruit because mm. I really wanted to know what it is and so on. And I just couldn't find any information. Oh. Like, everything I pulled up on the internet were marula fruit or, in one memorable case, apples. Apples? <laughs> and I was like, I mean, yeah, for all I know, mbole are apples, but I don't think so. I think they're um, wild fruit okay. of some kind. So yeah. if anyone's from the DRC or in a place where they cultivate these fruit, I'd really like to know what they look like. And, and what they taste uh, like. Yeah, and what they taste like, so please <laughs> send me that information. As the Boloko walked along the path laid out by their enemies, they were picked off one by one until only the wizard Inkankanga and his wife were left alive. Okay. Lakinda then transformed himself into a baby, which persuaded Inkankanga's wife to lift him into her arms. What the fuck? Okay, now, <laughs> if you think that's weird, just buckle up, because... Actually, it gets weird from here. Wait, but it wasn't weird before. <laughs> no, no. That was normal. Now, Lakinda, in his baby form, somehow climbed up a tree with, I assume, his super-powered baby orangutan arms. Okay. <laughs> ostensibly to throw fruit down from the trees to his brand new adoptive parents. Oh, uh, because that's normal. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that's what your newborn should do. I'm sorry, is your baby not able to climb trees age two months? <laughs> you gotta check that out. That is a developmental issue. <laughs> However, instead of throwing down fruit, he transformed himself into fruit. What? <laughs> and falling from the tree was swallowed by Inkankanga. This was on purpose. He wanted to get swallowed. But also, sorry, who just swallows the fruit that's being pelted at you? <laughs> like, I would catch that first. <laughs> it's like, bruh, you will die. Yeah. <laughs> so, understandably horrified at the fact that he had just swallowed what was possibly his only child, <laughs> Inkankanga decided to act totally rational, and he murdered his wife immediately. <laughs> <laughs> this is a roller coaster, right? <laughs> because apparently it's her fault that she picked up the baby. Okay. So she had to die. <laughs> And then he spent the rest of the day begging Lakinda not to kill him. From the inside? Yeah. So, you know, as you might guess, Lakinda was super chill with this whole idea of just hanging out with Inkankanga for, you know, the rest of his days. So, um, you know, he cut his way out from the inside. Okay, wow. <laughs> you know Hercules style um, in Disney's Hercules? Yeah. He's swallowed by the Hydra and mm -hmm. then, like, cuts his way out. That's disgusting. <laughs> 
What kind of murder show did you just describe? <laughs> I told you it was getting, well, maybe not spooky so much as gory. Yeah, it's just disgusting. <laughs> this episode on an African horror to story. Be honest. <laughs> okay, so what? Okay, so what? So then after that, Lakinda basically just ambled over to the nearest village and he told a story and, you know, boasted about it. And I'm sure he told it to thunderous applause and a series of puking episodes. <laughs> And everyone was okay with it? Yeah, they were like, bro, amazing. <laughs> what the fuck? So that is the story of the loco of the Democratic Republic of Congo. I just need a moment to <laughs> process all of that. Well, while you're processing, my sources were Wikipedia, Jan Nappert's Encyclopedia of Myths and Legends, African Mythology, and by the same author, Bantu Myths and Other Tales. And if people are offended by the term Bantu, I totally understand, even though... I mean, it's not necessarily offensive, but I think it was used offensively oh, really? in this thing because uh, these books were published in the 70s, okay. so <laughs> I gather that there was some racism going on there. Okay, mm. uh, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> that was, you know, I thought it was... I thought the stuff that she had started when she got stabbed in the love of that other lady. <laughs> that was mild. Mm. At least she didn't get cut out from the inside. <laughs> okay, well, that was great. <laughs> and on that cherry note... Let's go to our promo break. Today's podcast shout-out goes to Afro Tales Podcast. This is a podcast focused on folk tales, lore, myths, and legends that are a part of our everyday lives. Join Amon Mazingo as he explores the Afrocentric side of folktale arena spanning the Americas and Caribbean. If you want more stories based on the people of the African diaspora or just have a fun time listening to folk tales, lore, myths, and legends, this is the podcast for you. Alright, are you ready for my story? Probably not, but hit me with it anyway. Alright. <laughs> this is Shlalalozi. Shlalalozi? Did I just say that? Shlalalozi. Mpempe and the Nabulela. Ooh. Okay. And this is a myth from our home province, KwaZulu Natal, South Africa. Oh, shout out to hey, our hey, hometown. Hey. <laughs> okay, so I mean, we know quite a bit of the history of our home, but I'm gonna go over it anyway. So KwaZulu Natal is a province in South Africa located in the southeast of the country, with a long, gorgeous shoreline beside the Indian Ocean. Yeah, baby. Many a time have we played in those waters. From the west coast to the best coast. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Um, it shares borders with Mozambique, Eswatini, and Lesotho. So on the 25th of December, 1497, the Portuguese explorer Vasco da Gama, the a. sailor man, <laughs> saw our coast and named it Natal, which is the Portuguese name for Christmas. Oh, wow, that's interesting. He, mm. he named a, a coast a Christmas? Christmas? Yeah, a Christmas coast. <laughs> you know, like Christmas Island? Right. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> Maybe he discovered it on Christmas. But I just said that. Oh, fuck. <laughs> on the 25th of December, 1497. I'm sorry. I totally missed that. I was... So this just shows. <laughs> Charlie does not listen to anything I say. And it's fine. No, I was distracted by Vasco da Gama. Yeah, true. That is, that's true. Um, during the 1830s and early 1840s, the northern part of what is now KwaZulu-Natal was occupied by the Zulu Kingdom. The first European settlers, mostly British, established Port Natal, a trading post, but made no attempts to occupy the interior. So mm -hmm. they just was like, this is our port, you guys do whatever you want. But by 1837, the Boers entered the area via the Drakensberg Mountains. Do you want to say anything about those mountains? 
Uh, well, lovely. what I was gonna say is they took the most difficult way. Um, <laughs> you know, I guess it was a show of fortitude, of strength. What was it with the four trekkers and they needed to going trek, eh? over mountains? <laughs> it was a trek, and so they shall trek. Every day I'm trekking. trekking. <laughs> <laughs> the first trekkies. <laughs> Yeah, so they came in through the Drakensberg Mountains and engaged in quite a few battles with the Zulu Kingdom, eventually defeating them in 1838 during the Battle of Blood River. Boo! <laughs> which allowed them to establish the Boer Republic of Natalia in the southern part of the province, while the Zulus held control over the southern part. Okay. However, by 1843, Britain took over... Bah, bah, sorry, Boers. Boo! <laughs> and renamed it the British Colony of Natal. So basically everyone was happy with Christmas as the Yeah, they were like, you know time. what, the Portuguese are here and we should not bump them away. <laughs> <laughs> then from 1860 onward, the British brought Indians over to work in the sugar plantations on the coast as indentured labourers. Where we spent our lives cutting sugar cane. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we love that shit. So interesting fact, this actually tells us that all South African Indians come from a limited number of ships that came over from India, mm-hmm. which means that in some way, we are related. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We are Probably. inbred as fuck. Oh, yes. We're so inbred, we're sandwiches. <laughs> My favorite joke. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> in 1879, the British and the Zulus engaged in the Anglo-Zulu War, which resulted, unfortunately, in the defeat of the Zulu Kingdom despite initial victories. In 1880, the first Anglo-Boer War was waged, in which the Boers actually um, triumphed, forcing the British into agreeing to peace teams. Um, however, a second war was triggered upon the discovery of diamonds and gold in Boer-run states, which eventually resulted in a British victory. Right. Those dang diamonds, eh? In 1910, Britain then renamed the area the Union of South Africa, and then by 1961, the British monarchy ended, leaving South Africa to officially enter apartheid. So, oh, so things just got better from there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now it's on the up, you know? <laughs> um, so, I mean, I'm pretty sure everyone knows what apartheid was, but it's a system of institutionalized racial segregation. It, how else would you like to describe it? I, I, I would, should show. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> like to describe it. I think it's yeah. probably uh, one of the topics most known by mm. people outside of South Africa, so... Yeah. Um, so apartheid rarely actually began as early as 1948, but when the British monarchy officially left. Right. By 1994, apartheid ended and the areas previously known as KwaZulu and Natal joined to become KwaZulu-Natal, our home province. And that's uh, its name that's in its modern name day. now, yeah. So I just want to say some real legends who were born in KwaZulu-Natal was Albert de Tuli, who was actually the first non-white and the first person from outside Europe and the Americas to be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, interesting. I actually didn't know that. Okay, so anyway, that was just a bit of history. Then, down to the actual myth. In one particular village in KwaZulu, so this is before it was KwaZulu-Natal, Chief Mashlevana was the father of many healthy sons, but he was not yet content as he wished for a daughter. At last, one of his wives bore him a daughter with dark eyes who laughed easily at anything he did. Aww. In celebration, he arranged a feast and dances. Mashlevana named her Shlaloze, meaning little princess, and doted on her as much as he could, giving her the best beads and clothes in the land. Oh, that's so cute! <laughs> However, some of the other children felt jealous over how much Shlaloze was receiving from her father, but they remained silent. When Shlalozi was seven, she found the other children laughing at something moving in a nearby river. 
It was a small paw which kept rising to the surface in a flurry before vanishing under the water. Ignoring the others, she waded into the river and rescued a young puppy with a stone tied around its neck. Oh my god, the story just gets cuter in every sentence. She quickly carried it out and ran to her father's house where she carefully presented the puppy to her father, who allowed it to keep it once she explained that someone tried to murder it. Shalozi named it Mpempe, and Mashlavana was content knowing that Mpempe would keep his daughter safe always. Do we know what Mpempe means by any chance? Unfortunately, no, I don't. If anyone does know, though, do tell me. This story, literally, I could only find one source for it. Right. So I don't even know where it came from, who started it. I would love to know more information about it. Um, so several years passed, and Shlalozi grew into a beautiful, happy, and kind young woman, which only made the un- other young woman angrier. When Pempe had by now grown into an old dog and could no longer follow Shlalozi around everywhere. Oh, puppy. And this is where this is where things get kind of rough. So this allowed the other woman to hatch a plan to get rid of Shlalozi. One day, they were sent to fetch red ochre from the nearby clay pits, and Shlalozi joined them without her father knowing. As Shlalozi bent down to scoop some clay, the others pushed her into the pit and buried her alive. Ew! Oh no! Mm. Holy Sorry, shit! Sorry, the cute story kind of turned a bit weird. Literally the worst way to die. Yeah. When the girls came back without Shlalozi, Mpempe began to whine and managed to chew through his leash. When Mashavana returned to the village from his day, he asked about where his daughter was, but the girls denied that Shlalozi went with them and instead claimed that she went off with some man to the nearest river. These hoes. So not only did they kill her, they also smeared her reputation. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, not that there's anything wrong with, you know, going off with men. I totally support people having, you know, um, consenting adults yeah, doing their I mean, thing. Yeah, but I mean, to lie to her father. Yeah. You know, to paint I, a bad I, image of I, I do think that the intention in this case was yeah. to, uh, yeah. I mean, it's just like these, these girls. They're just murdered her. <laughs> Yeah. But now suddenly Mpempe came running out of nowhere, covered from head to tail in red mud, a little wooden amulet belonging to Shlalozi hanging from his mouth. Instantly, Mashlavana knew where his daughter was, and carrying Mpempe, rushed off with some others to the clay pits. Oh, so sweet that he thought to carry the dog. <laughs> no, because their dog is the hero. <laughs> As they came to the clay pits, a cheerful yell sounded from the trees, and looking up, Mashlavana saw his daughter sitting on a large branch, oh. her body covered in mud, but safe. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wait, so did Mpempe pull Mpempe her out? Mpempe pulled out. So the hole oh. in which the Lozi was buried in was surrounded by claw marks where Mpempe had desperately dug her up, saving her in time before she could suffocate. Oh, mother. It's <laughs> a girl and her dog, and a girl's best friend is her dog, and I may be missing my dogs, which is why I chose the story. <laughs> <laughs> so Mishlavana um, knew that the other girls had to lie to him. As punishment, he told the girls to bring back the white snowy skin of the Nabulela. What is the Nabulela? A fierce, long-toothed water creature who lived in a small lake near the village. Now, this creature was renowned in the village. You do not go near it, you will die. So it was an aggressive creature who particularly favoured human flesh. Nice. <laughs> so the woman was like, fuck, 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 I know I regret all my life choices. But they were as terrified of the chief. So... They were like, you know, we gotta do this. So they collected porridge cakes to lure the creature out and set up a trap before leaving. What they did is that they left one of their circular cattle kraals, which is basically just an enclosure, open at each end, and they left four of their number to guard the gates on one side and two at the other entrance. So they left to the lake and they sang a song to lure the Nabulela out, which kind of reminded me a bit of the Takane myth right. that I told where you always have to sing to bring out the creature. So I wonder what that yeah. well, commonality between um, You know, music and singing is deeply embedded in cultures 
all over Africa, mm. and in a lot of the mythology as well, so it's not really surprising. Yeah, so they, so they lived to the lake and sang a song to lure the Nabulela out. A snow-white creature with long, shining teeth rose out of the water, its mouth opening as it rose. Now, can you imagine, like, a hippopotamus opening its mouth? Oh, yeah. Like that gaping <laughs> yawn. Yep. That's that, only long, sharp teeth. Oh, great. <laughs> so the woman kept singing their song and backing and backed it slowly away, using their porridge cakes to lure it onto the bank and onto land. As soon as it was on land, they turned and ran back to the village, the Nabulela chasing them now that it smelled human flesh. Exhausted but desperate, the woman finally managed to run into the kraal and out the other side, shutting both gates as soon as the Nabulele was on the enclosure. Their fathers then came out and threw their spears at it until they dying on the floor. Which I kind of felt a bit bad for the creature. I mean, she was trying to eat them, but I mean, yeah, to be trapped like that, you know. I mean, they're the ones that lured him in the first place. Also, they were murderers, so I kind of was, I mean, they were attempted murderers. So, so like, you kind you know, of hope they die, they, they die. were going to get <laughs> eaten. Yeah, but anyway, apparently the story is about forgiveness. <laughs> Um, so the girls were forgiven, and the chief wore a cape of the Nabulele skin from their deed, content that his daughter was safe as long as Mpempe was by her side. Aww. And I just, that, that's basically the story, and I just thought it was cute. So I googled what Mpempe means. Oh, thank goodness, found yes. And uh, as far as I can tell, it means whistle. Whistle and he'll come. I know. Also whistle and those creepy fairies also come. But anyway, <laughs> I think that's a cute name for a puppy. Yeah, so, I mean, nothing particularly scary, but I just thought it was a really sweet story. I'm all about the sweet today. I love that story. Right? That's really it's super basically cute. basically a girl and her dog. And it is kind of nice that it ended in, if not redemption, but forgiveness. Yeah, so his whole thing, I think, was that he saw that Mpempe had kind of managed to rescue, given um, Shalosi a chance to live. So he thought it was only right to give these girls a chance to redeem themselves, or to prove, like, do something good. Yeah, I mean, this king really setting an example for all other kings. Right, because, I mean, I don't know how I'd feel if someone tried to murder my child. I feel like I would go monkey crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Die in a fire. I'd be like, you know what? I'll drown you myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so he was very tolerant, this guy. Yeah, I mean, his only daughter also. That's the thing. Then, oh, I mean, not that it would have been better if he had other I've daughters. I've got others, it's okay. But, it's I mean... Like, I got spares. <laughs> it was a child that he'd wanted for so long. Yeah. <laughs> and his favorite... I mean, and, yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, did you even see where the brothers were? Nope. We don't know <laughs> their names. <laughs> um, so this, my only source of this was The Best of African Folklore by Phyllis Savory. Um, and then obviously Wikipedia for a bit of background. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, really lightened the mood after the Biloko thing. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of glad I went afterwards because that was heavy. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, we hope that you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, do uh, like, subscribe, review, all that good stuff. Yeah, oh, uh, speaking of review, you can either review us on iTunes or on Podchaser. Yeah, we're also looking to get on a uh, new African-only podcast site named... Uh, Afropods. Afropods. Afripods. 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 Yeah, (laughs) so a new site named Afripods, where I think you probably would also be able to subscribe and uh, possibly review, so Mm. look out for that as well. Also, um, if you are looking forward to Father's Day, we're going to have a special Father's Day episode on Monday next week. So, uh, you know, if you want to give your dad a shout out or do something special for him, we would be happy to read that out on the podcast. That's true, any messages you'd like to send to your father we can tell you yeah even if you want to send a personal uh voice message that's totally cool with us let's Mm -hmm. uh appreciate the fathers of the world fathers or father figures eh? 
Yeah, no, I mean, when I say father, I literally mean anyone you who consider. has been considered as as some form of paternal figure. Mm, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anything else? No, I think that's it. Okay, so <laughs> until next time, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. Bye.